Welcome to Americana Warm. I'm Ken Paulson, and boy, are we excited to have Dar Williams with us here in a makeshift studio. We're at the Kiyama Music Fest slash boat trip, and I, I believe we are in Antigua here, uh, also called Antigua. We've been debating that for days. And um, and Dar, it's great to see you, and you have been incredible this week. I've, I've seen you from three different angles. Uh, <laughs> and, great. And uh, last night was a wonderful show. <clears throat> Thank you. And uh, the evening of, of uh, the four women playing, I don't remember what catchy title they came up for that. Oh, God, Well-Rounded Women. Well -rounded I was like, men. oh, well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> True enough. Yeah. Well, we had a, my wife and I had a gentle debate about whether there was intended to be a double entendre. <laughs> well, somebody pointed out it was in the round. That's, that's so, what she yeah, came Yeah, but it was, no, I mean, we, you know, none of us, you know, n none of us have a problem with that. <laughs> I... Uh, I've enjoyed your work for a long time. I, I, I may have started out the wrong way because I think the first, first thing I heard from you was Mortal City, hmm. which to me is your stairway to heaven. <laughs> it, is, it is epic hmm. and just hypnotic. Um, you don't do it very much, though. No, it's because it's eight minutes long-ish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little play. It is. But that's what I came from. I was a playwright, you know, in college. And so, so you know, you, you know, you start with these characters and then the world comes around them. And so <laughs> I, I realized that it was becoming a little play. And I was like, well, okay. You know, that's what you do when you believe in the muse. You just follow her. When did you first take a stage and have somebody pay you money? I think the first gig that paid me money was... Um, <clears throat> when I opened for Patty Griffin, she was a waitress at a bar, <laughs> and along with my housemate, and my housemate said, I gave my friend Patty your cassette, and she said you can go open her for her at Christopher's in Somerville, Massachusetts, wow. and I think I got $50 for that. Was it a professional cassette or just something recorded in your bedroom? <laughs> it was prof my voice teacher. Um, was the engineer and we, we did it in a studio and um, so she she helped produce it and you know kind of midwife it uh, make it come to be there is a social consciousness through everything you do <clears throat> last night's performance you blame the babysitter for that um, and you know I, maybe I sometimes read too much into your songs but it just feels like almost every one of them has a substantive message for us or for you or for someone out there. Are there examples of party songs that Dar Williams has written that they're just a good time? Uh, like a, a, just, a just because kind of song? Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, but not because, you know, I mean, there's a song that has to do with um, hemp activists, you know, and she's all into like all of the politics of hemp and he's just a big old pothead and and she kind of has to learn throughout the song and you know that doesn't really have a lot of um weight to it and yet you know art is a lot about recognition and consolation and so actually a lot of people have come up and said that that has some gravity for them because some gravitas because they had to break up with some guy who was you know not quite there <laughs> one way or another so um everything feels it's got to have a certain um weight to me in order for it to kind of pull me pull me in a certain direction and i'm always willing for it to be a completely flaky 
you know, fun song, but it just um, never, it, it always has some importance to me, but um, yeah. Well, there's like FM radio, which... Yeah, exactly. That doesn't necessarily, and yet there is this kind of yearning in that song because, you know, at the end she says to the, the you know, she's kind of detailing all this, this stuff that happens in the world of FM radio in the 70s, and then she's looking at this kid and she's saying, you know, you should turn up the volume the way we used to in the 70s. Like, you should be a little bit more out there the way we did and, and, and really let it ring, you know. And so there is that loving, you know, passing of the rock torch to the next generation from that incredible 70s crowd. So, oh, well, I guess that isn't <laughs> a party song either. You are one of a subset of largely women writers who... Um are storytellers, they're red narratives, their lyrics are exquisite. Um, I, I think Chapin Carpenter falls mm-hmm. into that category she says, in particular. Yes. Um, and yet, um, where I think you have a gift that I, I've not actually heard anybody do in a body of work, is you are, um, um, you're kind of cross-generational throughout your writing that I love, I was telling my wife the other day that when you're 10 years old, somebody wrongs you badly, a parent, a, mm-hmm. an uncle, an older person, and you quietly swear, I'm going to remember this, mm-hmm. and I will never do that when I'm that age. Right, right. And I think you remembered everything. I, <laughs> you know, it, that's, um, that's true. I think I, you know, I, when I was a teenager, I thought, I will remember this. I mean, you're absolutely right. And then you hear everybody else say that, and you hear people go, oh, that's what I used to say. So you assume... But yeah, I don't, I uh, can, and now that I have kids, because I think I could have forgotten then, all I have to do is uh, sit where they were sitting and um, remember where I was. And I, yeah, I remember everything. And, and, I, and I'm glad, but I do, yeah. I it makes that. me too permissive, actually, because yeah. <laughs> I, I empathize too much. <laughs> well, I, 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 you know, in terms of politics and I knew who, what I believed in when I was 16. Yeah. I know what I believed in when I was 18. Mm-hmm. And I believe exactly the same things now. Me too, me too. And, and um, I had an advantage because the young woman I dated in high school at 16 turned out to be my partner in life. And, and then you keep yourselves, each of you are honest because you're saying, no, 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 you're not becoming a 45-year-old now. Right, right, fantastic. Uh, but, yeah. but, but, but you do that uh, when I was a boy is obviously a, a, a great example of, of remembering that. But then you're at the other extreme, you know, where you're writing about people who are even older than you. Well, uh, you know, the whole notion of you're aging well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know anyone else who sort of skips decades throughout their writing, shows empathy for you no matter what, and has insights. Uh, um, you plead guilty to that. I, that's very kind. <laughs> Um, let's play a song you're proud of. Um, this is called uh, Mercy of the Fallen, and um, it was, um, I was, you know, you don't rush songs. I mean, I don't rush songs. So it kind of came slowly. Um, I was in um, uh, England um, with this guy in Chester who had been a rock and roll bass player, and, and it just seemed like he was such a compassionate person 
that we don't associate with rock and rollers. Like he, he looked like he was in Led Zeppelin and he looked like he, you know, could have been, had one of those bad boy reputations, but he is back in England taking care of his parents and running like a bed and breakfast and making breakfast for all of us and chatting with us, but still had done, I think, all the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> you know, I said, it's funny, all this stuff, you know, about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I'm just too tired sometimes <laughs> for anything but the rock and roll. And he paused, he goes, well, speak for yourself. <laughs> and I thought, how wonderful that all of that kind of, like, tough, rough stuff leads people to um, to become compassionate and gentle in a lot of ways. That's a lot of rock and rollers at that sort of retirement age. They never retire, but you know, they're very patient and they they love their children, they love their parents, and they're um, uh, big-hearted. So um, I was being driven away from you know I never drive in England, so I'm <laughs> being driven away and I'm sitting in the back seat going. There's the wind and the rain, you know, very Shakespearean, you know, the fool saying there's the wind, there's the rain, la-di-da. And I said the mercy of the fallen, which is a little maybe too broad, but basically people who have fallen before and have have recognized themselves as not, you know, the, the, at, at the peak, you know, in, in terms of leadership or, or, or knowledge or authority, they've fallen. And that gives them this sort of love and appreciation and wisdom, actually, to be there for other people. That's, that's incredible. Mercy of the Fallen from Dar Williams. There's the wind and the rain and the mercy of the fallen who say they have no the weak and the strong and the beds that have no answer and that's where I may rest my head tonight I saw the bright people what record was that from? Do you recall? yes that's from the that's the lead track on an album called The Beauty of the Rain I want to, uh, I could talk to you for a very long time about your music, but I, I'm excited about your, your book. Um, and I have a couple of like basic questions about your book, uh, which um, I would not have guessed to come from you initially. <laughs> uh, but it's certainly, you know, the book has a tone similar to the way you write, and I guess that's, that's natural. Um, I was, one of the fundamental questions I want to ask you is, you have a major publisher. I do. And how did that conversation go? I'd like to to write a book about urban urban planning and the renewal of our towns. And my qualifications are: I write, I sing, and write songs. Um, they took a huge chance. It was really nice to come into this meeting um, and uh, have somebody say, you know, well, give me an example of a town that came back, and. It was one of those, you know, I named a town and he said, that's my town, you know, like it was, so there was like a little fairy, you know, a little Tinkerbell flying in the room. I swear it was very fortuitous. And we all kind of looked at each other like, this is a nice way to talk to each other. And somebody had been to a lot of my concerts and knew that I hung with a crowd that l likes to look at these kinds of things. And, and, um, 
Yeah, but it was, I mean, it was a huge gift. They really ran the gauntlet for me and got a great publicist. So I, I know, all I can say is that I don't know how it happened, but I'm very lucky. So at one point, America changes. There yeah. is hope. Yeah. And, and is there, as with the, the nadir of this, is there a year that this, the, 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 city, the city's become alive? 1999 is okay. when I noticed it. Um, I did a, um, I went to a play at the Keene Opera House because they had just um, renovated it. And um, I thought, wow, this is, um, you know, uh, an unusual choice. It's a big building. It's creaky. It's old. And um, as I listened to them feeling so proud of what they'd done, they were talking about stores and landscaping. And I noticed this kind of one thing leads to another way that they talked to each other where they weren't just talking. They knew their skill sets. They knew each other. They had what we call high social trust. That's what proximity is called by the uh, uh, sociologists. And the fabric was in place for the next thing to happen. And, and the next thing you know, Keene is Keene. And, and Peterborough is Peterborough. And Nashville is Nashville. And what I've noticed, you know, uh, is that what ta- when towns come into their own identity, build up spaces where people can meet each other loosely as acquaintances and go, oh, you do that, and I do this, and this happens. And then they go into their history, such as Nashville. Music Row was apparently going to be torn down at one point. When Nashville chose to say, no, no, let's celebrate this, look what happened to Nashville. You know, now now we have Whole Foods, and now we have a lot of apartments. I mean, I've been there recently. But what it started with was this no, no, let's get to the roots and see what kind of hay we can make. You know, it has an economic um, component. What kind of hay can we make with our waterfront, with our history, with our food, with our heritage? And um, ha- and that led to new ideas coming out of it. And as you point out, it's not waiting for government no. to, to come up with a plan. It's the people saying we can make a difference. I'm such a bleeding heart radical. Everybody knows that, but it's such a Republican book (laughs) because it's saying if you really think that people can do it by themselves without government, then 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 this is these are the examples that you can use. The thing is, government is of the people by the people. What usually happens is that people who dig into their community identities end up running for office. It's not just people who are born and say, I want to be the president of the United States. It's people who are on the tree planting committee who say, you know what, I'm not afraid to put myself out there to be on the town council so that we can have better policies, so that we can grow better trees. And I want government to be something that frees us to do more. So actually, government is a very important part of all this, but it's often an outcome of people feeling trust and confidence in their communities. One of the things that's most striking about about your career and your work is that um, I don't think you dash off any song. I, I don't think anything is written in 12 minutes and you go, thank you, Lord. A lot of thought, a lot of reflection. And I, 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 I know a lot of songwriters. I'm on the Songwriters Hall of Fame board in Nashville. And I, when I interview them, there are t- dozens of those stories. Mm-hmm. I wrote that in 10 minutes, standing oh, yeah. on the mm-hmm. on the roof of the Waldorf in Memphis. You know, I it's know. like, how does I that know. happen? They pray better than I do. <laughs> I mean, I, I do believe in that. that phenom- I do think that you should thank God when that happens. <laughs> so what would be your process? Um, I, uh, you know, uh, the, the retreat that I lead is called Writing a Song That Matters. And... Um, 
because I don't know how to help people get contracts or put together press packs or, or, or write a hit, you know. Uh, but I do know when it feels like it matters. And actually, um, I would say my process is that uh, an interesting um, piece of melody comes into my head that I think is pretty. It's not necessarily a hook, but it just has a kind of specific sound and a kind of a, a cadence, which is kind of the chordal world around it. And it just kind of holds... It's, it just kind of is in my head with this nice little nebula, you know, an aura of prettiness. And I t pick up my guitar and I see if I can replicate it. And then, and then what I'll do is I'll be like, so what's up for me right now? <laughs> what's going on? And, and I wrote a song um, that you probably heard last night called uh, Magical Thinking. And, you know, so I uh, woke up with a melody that went, da 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 and I like that little lift. It's really subtle. But then I'm sitting there making tea and I'm thinking, and just singing over and over. And then I said, Yeah, I know all about my magical thinking. And it phrased out, you know, it just gently came out of my brain. You know, I know all about my magical thinking. And I just, it brought me back to a relationship where because I am an optimist and I can do that kind of like, you know, if the sun comes out of the cloud before I count to 10, then we're not going to break up. You know, <laughs> I was, I had done so much of that. And, and then it was time to stop the magical thinking um, without giving, you know, without getting rid of the optimism. So it just, that piece of melody, I quietly waited for that pretty piece of melody. Like that's my big thing for people is make it pretty for yourself. Just create something that sounds pretty because that'll, grab you more than if it's not pretty and then see like what's up in my life right now like I'm very sad about our country right now and yet optimistic about what can happen based on going to all these towns and cities so how do I put the two together maybe that's going to be a song or maybe that's too heavy so it's so I pick up these little objects of what's up in my life and see if they fit into this this melody and lo and behold, they sort of find each other. And then sometimes it kind of feels like a magical walk, you know, the concept and the melody kind of find one another and cool rhymes, you know, help to guide the way. It's a lot about walking around and letting it accumulate. Let's pick another song to play. Anything from your body work. Um, you know, there's a song called After All that started with a really subtle um, melody and um, and I just followed it, you know, it just came to me on a gentle afternoon, so I gently walked around with it. And it doesn't have a very up and down um, uh, melody, but um, the intensity for me was, it has to do with um, coming out of a depression. And um, and it turned, it turned out for me to be a very riveting story. So, you know, the first verse describes sort of what it felt like, which is, what I describe as a winter machine, you know, you just can't get out of it. And then, then the second one is, you know, when I started to talk about my family, my sisters started telling me things about my parents that I never knew. And suddenly I recognized the place they were coming from. I don't, and something about that is very good for the brain and for depression. And, and that respect for what they'd been through, which I think was the last thing they would have thought. I'm sure they thought it was weighing me down, um, was, something that lightened me up and helped me rise up to the surface and um and then the last uh the last verse I realized you know sort of like well what happens when you finally come to the surface and the world goes from black and white to color 
you are less afraid of people hurting your feelings or confronting you or yelling at you or misunderstanding because you're like, okay, this is this is what this is all about. It's it's not like I'm specially horrible. <laughs> it's like we're all specially trying to work this out. And it was very important for me to spell it out for myself. And um, and then somebody came up to me, my friend Bob McWilliams, at a festival, and he said, you know, I think this uh, will have more of an audience than you might have thought. And it's almost like a community of people who have been able to specially relate to that song. I, a lot of people can't, but to me it's sort of calls to a certain crowd. After all. And sometimes I think my father too was a refugee. I know they tried to keep their pain from me. They could not see what it was for me. But now That was After All from Dara Williams. You're listening to Americana One with Ken Paulson on WMOT. It, uh, we've been fortunate. You occasionally come to Nashville uh, to play and perform, and you're coming again mm -hmm. this spring mm -hmm. and playing the City Winery. Mm -hmm. And what day are you coming to Nashville? March 8th. Terrific. We, uh, we associate with a very, you with a very blessed uh, event in our lives. You were booked for the City Winery uh, four years ago. And uh, and we had tickets up front, and then my daughter went into labor. So our grandson Will is uh, is now four and doing well. And we're only a little bitter that he made us miss that miss that Cheryl. <laughs> uh, so I assume that's the last book for a little while. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Next album, when is that on the horizon? Next album's going to come around the summer, and I'll tour with that in the fall. And the um, and I think it's going to be called "Time Be My Friend," <laughs> and the and then I'm and then I'm writing um, the writing a song that matters book with just lots of little snippets of sort of so now you're here what do you do next what do you you know there's this thing that I call the the go no further moment when your brain is like this song's ridiculous <laughs> go no further you're going to make a fool of yourself and that's actually kind of um, that's an important moment to keep on going. It's, it's a certain, it has a certain kind of um, irrational alarm to it. And that's that sometimes you really can't go farther with a song. But, you know, so I, I but the, the go no further, it's important to pay attention to the go no further voice because it's, it's wrong usually. <laughs> and um, so I'm going to just do that. It's going to be probably pretty short. I, uh, I consume a lot of music. And there was one day shortly after Mortal City came out that, I had just pretty much exhausted every genre in the record store, and I thought maybe there's something in folk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there, and there you were. For those of you who are not familiar with Dar's work, um, well, welcome to the welcome to the party. Uh, I'm sure you've heard enough so far to know that she's one of the most thoughtful and best songwriters in the country. And I have not missed a record since then. Um, I just uh, I marvel at 
frankly, your candor and your and your productivity. I mean, that you can be that truthful that often on, on a relative schedule. So it's a, a blessing to have you here. Thank you. That's incredibly nice for you to <laughs> say. I I sometimes you know worry about that, but yeah, it's it's at the end of the day, writing songs is is slow, and you just keep with it. And I am sitting here thinking, I want to have, I want to play one more Dar Williams song. I, mean, I just want to give it, I want to give it some thought. And uh, I think, are you out there? That is, um, that was it, one of the things that we talk about when we talk, you know, when I talk with people about songwriting is, what's really helpful is that you say what happened, and then what really happened. You know, so you you have this great, I had this great very specific experience of growing up as a teenager with this um, radio station that was all about conspiracies <laughs> and like all this political stuff and and you know how the American Medical Association doesn't want us to know about you know beta carotene and <laughs> like it was just so <laughs> great to be that teenager listening to that and I didn't really tell anybody about it I didn't even know people had heard of it in my town and um, and so I wrote that song sort of as an homage to the teenager with that those frequencies coming through her head and it really um related and how she feels related to it more than she feels related to her immediate environment of teenagers and you know uh partying and stuff and um i will also say that in the back of my mind since we're in nashville right now um i also was influenced by people who had heard that one radio station that came out of somewhere in the eastern United States, but they heard it all over Canada and they heard it all over. And wherever there was the stronger frequency, you have some of the best country writing, whether it's from, you know, Newfoundland <laughs> or Nashville or Mobile, Alabama, whoever got that radio station had this legacy that they continued and it's amazing how those you know that randomness of where those frequencies went influenced an entire generation of country writers yeah, in nashville that was wsm which we live next to probably have cellular things in our bodies because of it but <laughs> um yeah and uh that changed the path of history that must be it Dara, thank you so much thank you so much ken and thank you Our thanks to Erica Nalo for her always sterling production and to Dave Paulson for writing the theme music. This is Americana One.